If you've been around the gym long enough or even done a basic search on Dr. Google, then you've likely heard conflicting information as to the potential benefits of cardiovascular exercise for health versus fat loss. Is cardio even necessary when improved body composition is the goal? And conversely, does any and all cardio inhibit muscle gains? And if a little cardio is good, is more better? These are just a few of the questions that we'll tackle on this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. Welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, where each week you'll hear the real-world experiences, life lessons, and guided principles that every highly driven man needs to master, their health, productivity, and relationships by sharing conversations with the world's most successful people in fitness, nutrition, supplementation, and mindset. Meet your host, Benjamin Brown. He is a fitness and nutrition expert, consultant to Fortune 500 companies and world championship sports teams, a husband and father of three, and has been helping men transform their physiques, optimize their energy, and own their fatherly mission since 2005. Thank you for joining us today, and without further ado, let's jump right in. Is cardio good or bad? Well, as with all things in life, the devil's in the dose. This especially holds true when we talk about the pros and cons of cardiovascular training, or if we were to be more specific, the type, frequency, duration, and intensity of the exercise will determine the individual's response. So what should we know about how to manipulate these variables relative to our long-term health and body composition goals? Today I bring back Dr. Dan Dodd, PhD, exercise physiologist, and owner of DexaFit in Central Illinois, a testing facility specifically looking at body composition analysis using DEXA scans, metabolic assessments, and cardiovascular testing. In this illuminating conversation, we discuss the numerous applications of cardiovascular training depending on the individual and their goals, including the relationship between cardiovascular exercise for health and for fat loss. Is there a difference? The different types of cardio based on intensity, the ways to create a calorie deficit with nutrition versus training volume, and the metabolic adaptations therein. We talk about the downsides of too much cardio, the health benefits of cardiovascular exercise, and the stigmas of cardio based on sex. Lastly, we discuss how to measure your aerobic fitness and or cardiovascular function in easy-to-do tests at home. If you've been wondering how to determine the right type and volume of cardiovascular exercise for you, then you're going to want to tune in to this episode. As always, if you love what you hear on the show, then do me a favor and subscribe, leave a positive rating and review, and share this episode with a friend or a loved one whom you think could benefit so that we can help more people make smart nutrition simple. And if you want to talk about working with me personally, I'd love to chat. Just schedule your free nutrition strategy call over at bslnutrition.com forward slash level up. That's it. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Here is Dan Dodd. Dan Dodd, welcome back to the show, man. What's up? Not much, but good to see you again. Good to see been you. been a couple of years. Yeah, it's been a few years since you've been on the show, obviously, yeah. because we're boys, we talk frequently. and uh, But yeah, I think I had you on one of my first episodes. It, it might have been yeah, like possibly, in yeah. the first three or five episodes 
that you came on the show to talk about uh, cardiovascular-based training and VO2 max. And um, really, I think we talked a lot about body composition analysis, specifically with yep. respect to the DEXAFIT, because uh, well, tell us a little bit about your, your business right now. So right now, there's not much business going on. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but so the company I, I run is uh, DexFit here in uh, central Illinois. So what we do is we're a testing company. So we look at uh, body composition testing with uh, the DEXA scan. We do uh, resting metabolic rate testing. We do some VO2 max uh, testing as well. And, and then we do a few other tests uh, as far as blood, blood work and, and uh, food intolerance tests and things like that. But our three main ones are the DEXA scans, the RMR and the VO2. And, you know, I know we're talking about cardiovascular and that's sort of, you know, the last three years of running the company has really been interesting to see how um, cardiovascular training is sort of coming back into the flow uh, mm -hmm. of the field and, and uh, starting to look at ways to, to manipulate that and, and uh, you know, improve people's cardiovascular fitness and just find out where they're at, um, not just from a health standpoint, but from the performance standpoint too. Yeah, I think it's huge from a health or performance and a fat loss standpoint yep. and kind of marrying all of them because I'll say within the last kind of five years prior to that or within the last two years prior to that, there was a, a large period of time outside of, I guess, the 80s and maybe early 90s where cardiovascular exercise started to get kind of a bad rap to the degree that, yep. especially in our industry, right, especially in the strength training industry in terms of saying like, well, you maybe don't need as much cardiovascular exercise as you think. And in fact, it could actually be detrimental to the body. In fact, if you're trying to put on muscle mass, you absolutely do not want to be doing any type of quote unquote aerobic training or running yep. or anything like that because it's going to squash all of your hashtag gains and <laughs> right and so there's a bit of a stigma associated with it so it, it's like people fall into camps and sort of yep. saying like either they're really big cardiovascular fitness advocates and maybe they're athletes maybe they're runners uh, endurance athletes ultra endurance athletes triathletes things like that and then there's obviously the strength camp which is like will not touch cardiovascular exercise with a 10 foot pole. In fact, they're reticent to even go above eight reps in any of their strength, <laughs> any of their strength exercises by virtue of that in and of itself could be too aerobic for them. And now what we're really starting to see is that there really is a place for all of it. And, and so much so that what we're realizing is that not doing enough cardiovascular exercise is in fact detrimental to our health, just as doing right. too much could potentially be damaging as well. But I think there's a nice marry in between. And that's why I wanted to have you back on the show is to really talk about kind of what that entails, where it falls, the different types of cardiovascular exercise, um, and, and then how we make the differentiation between cardiovascular exercise for health, depending on the person, cardiovascular exercise for performance, and then you know, cardio for fat loss and when and if we need the, the following. So I think a, a good place to start might be um, to really talk about the different types of cardiovascular exercise that we, the, the way we type of classify them. Sure. Uh, right now. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting that you, you brought that up because, you know, how, how our societal trends have gone and things like that and people being the strength camp and cardio camp and i think uh you know a couple of a couple of things there that you know with the cardio camp everybody lumps cardio into just running or maybe biking you know that's that's cardio that's the you know without thinking that there's you know when we talk about cardiovascular training it's not just about the modality that we're using it's actually what it's what's happening to the body or you know what what's the body doing during that type of training and 
Uh, you know, and, and I think, which is weird because you know, over the last 10 years, probably the most uh, popular form of exercise has been HIIT training. And yeah. when we look at HIIT training in its essence, I mean, that's cardiovascular training or it's at least developing the cardiovascular system as well as the you know, neuromuscular system as well. But, but you think about it, increase in heart rate, uh, you know, lactate buffering, all that sort of stuff is coming into that, that style of HIIT training. We're just using weight or weight-bearing equipment or resistance training for that as opposed to just you know, using a running or a biking or a swimming uh, modality to basically achieve the same thing. So that's where I think it's, that, that disconnect has happened is people lumped it into, well, I don't like running. I don't like biking. So that's cardio and I, um, I refuse to do cardio yet they're doing a HIIT workout yeah. with, <laughs> with lifting and in essence doing the, you know, oh, doing yeah. the same thing. And so. it's, a, it's a very high intensity form of cardiovascular training to the degree that uh, you know what talk to us a little bit about what's happening with uh, the heart rate and the physiological demands of the different types of cardiovascular training yeah and just like you know what we see with resistance training and and just taking your, your spectrum of of uh you know reps and sets and volume and different and manipulation like if you're looking for for increase in size muscular size versus muscular strength versus muscular power well you're manipulating those variables to to achieve that well, with cardio, you're doing the same thing, right? So, you know, if you're doing a low intensity, long duration run, well, you're going to get X amount of benefits from or adaptations in response to that. If you go out for a, you know, a medium effort, uh, shorter duration uh, run or, or, you know, workout of some kind, well, you're going to get certain benefits. And then if you have some of those high intensity workouts, then obviously you're going to have some, some benefits. But when we talk cardiovascular training, really, we're talking cardiorespiratory, right? We're talking about the effects of the cardiovascular system, you know, blood, uh, heart, uh, you know, circulation uh, moving through the body. And then we're obviously look, looking at uh, respiration and looking at uh, the exchange of gases from the lungs to the blood and the blood back to the lungs and, and having that movement going through. So you know, really when we, we look at cardio, it's just training how efficient our system is mm -hmm. to take in the oxygen that we, we, we're consuming and utilizing that at the cellular level, you know, for the most part to provide energy to maintain the the workload that we're doing. So, you know, that's, that's where cardio gets lumped into a modality versus all we're trying to do is train the system uh, and train the system to be better so that we don't fatigue, you know, more quickly. So we can walk up the stairs and not be out of breath or we can, you know, go for a light jog or, or do a, a short workout and, and be perfectly fine and can handle it and our muscles can recover and our, our system can recover and handle it and, and be perfectly fine for the next bout of, of effort. So that's really what, you know, what we're looking at. But when we look at the styles of training, so if we go back to modality, probably walking, running, swimming, and, and you know, biking are probably the easiest forms of cardiovascular training because we keep it simple. Go yeah. out and start putting one foot in front of the other or one pedal over another or one arm in front of the other, right? And, and it's easy. People can, you know, conceptually can just go out and do that. Um, so then they're getting the, the systems from that. So that's, I think, that why, we've, why we've lumped it into those you know, training modalities. I, I like uh, something I want to touch on um, as you move into kind of the more moderate and high intensity, but I like that you brought up the, the whole efficiency term. And I think that it's obviously so dependent on the individual to the degree that for someone that has not been exercising at all or has been largely sedentary like the majority of the american population when they think of quote-unquote cardiovascular exercise they may think just that a 
to have to go out running or jogging or biking or swimming. And that in and of itself is very daunting, but not necessarily understanding to their specific physiology, going out for a moderate walk in and of itself is cardiovascular exercise, right. you know, so much so that it's going to elevate their heart rate into a level that is helping them improve aerobic capacity. It's helping them take right. in more oxygen, expand their lungs, get more oxygen into the tissues, circulate that oxygen throughout the body. So obviously within that, it's going to be a tremendous amount of health benefits. Right. And it's in a way that is seemingly simplistic. Now, I'm not going to assume that simply going out for a 30 to 60 or 90 minute walk for someone is that easy, but is a huge difference between a low to moderate intensity walk for one person and a, a low to moderate intensity jog for someone else that's that's largely trained. So there's a, a huge gap, a huge spectrum for someone to be able to work with within these these levels or zones, right. if you will, for them to yeah. reap the health benefits of this type of exercise, um, which I, I think is really important for people to understand. Yeah, and, and I, the, probably the best example, and I, I uh, read this example many, many years ago, actually when I was going through undergraduate school, of this uh, very, very overweight uh, lady that uh, was ill afraid of, of going into a gym and, and doing you know, any form of exercise, and, and she was, but her health was definitely um, you know, becoming very, very debilitating. So she basically walked from her front porch to her front gate and back in, and even in itself was just exhausting for her. Yeah. She'd sit down on the porch and then go from there. And then that she would do that repeatedly through the day. And then it became out of the porch to the end of the block and back in mm -hmm. and, and just progressed into that point. And, and obviously subsequently had some of those other health improvements, like some weight loss, some just, uh, you know, decrease in fatigue through the day, better sleep patterns, all these benefits that we talk about uh, in terms of, you know, cardiovascular and even, you know, uh, from resistance training. But that was just a very simplified for that individual that was just very, very uh, of poor health. Just a, a short walk to a front gate and back was was the required stimulus to, uh, uh, to get those systems up and running and then obviously providing a benefit for her. And then she realized, okay, I got to do more. I got to increase yeah. it a little bit. And it wasn't necessarily just intensity to start with. It was just in duration. And then over time, then the, the intensity shifted. So, you know, really that's, the, that's what it comes down to is the manipulation of intensity and duration. Um, it's really how you play around with uh, cardiovascular training, much like you do with resistance training. And, and that's really how people have got to be able to be better. Um, you know, we talk about like people first starting and they're like, okay, New Year's resolutions. I'm going to get back into exercise. I'm going to, I'm going to do it this year. This is the year. Well, they go out and run 5Ks or three miles. Or they go out and, you know, overexert themselves and their body just can't handle it. So then they're like, oh, I hate running. It's hurting my knees. It's hurting my back. I'm done with that. I'm, I hate cardio. Well, instead of stepping back and maybe just going to the front gate and back, at least for a few weeks and then getting used to it. Right. Obviously that's where, you know, just changing those variables was all it needed to be to get those benefits that they were, they were talking about. Yeah. It's just slowly adjusting to the training stimulus, just like anything yep. else and being really yep. realistic about it. Um, now, what about sort of the ideas around the type of cardio that we're doing? So we talked about, we obviously just talked about low intensity uh, or what we like to say, low intensity, steady state. And, yep. 
and then of course there's more moderate intensity I, I guess you could imagine maybe for one person it's just a slow jog a fast walk uphill um, a, a moderate intensity bike on something like that versus the high intensity and and I want to talk to you about the nuances of the high intensity because that's kind of somewhat um, misunderstood certainly yep. but within the context of those um, where what is the most effective for fat loss? Okay, so it's a good question. Um, so what we do in, in the lab too with, uh, with testing, and just to give you an idea, is we can, with our uh, uh, mass on the individuals, we can measure the gas change, see what's going on. So we can actually look at caloric expenditure that's happening at different intensities. And one of the things that we notice, not only total caloric expenditure, we can look at the differences in the amount of fat being burnt versus the amount of carbohydrates that's being burnt. Uh, during those different intensities. So we staged the, the testing from really low intensity up to near maximal effort. And we can actually identify how many calories total they're burning, but then of those calories, how much is fat and how much is mm -hmm. uh, carbohydrate. So let's say, for example, somebody's walking at, uh, at, a, at a low to moderate rate and they're burning nine calories per minute. Uh, they may be burning six calories of those in fat and three calories of, of uh, carbohydrate. It'd probably be a little bit more like uh, you know, uh, five and four uh, fat to carbs, but we can identify that and see what happens as that person progresses. The issue, though, is most people think, and this goes back to the the, the treadmills, and you probably remember this: the treadmills on the on uh, the consoles would have, oh, here's the fat burning zone. Yes, right. You just got to get your heart rate here, and and you'll burn calories. But it's not as simple as that. Even though that is true, that individuals at lower intensities are, are maybe burning well, a higher percentage of fat versus carbohydrate at the intensity the total caloric expenditure is a lot lower. Yeah. So what that means is that person, if you're going to work out in those lower intensities from a fat burning standpoint, you got to do them for a long time, long period yes. of time to really get the most, really get the most out of it. So, you know, if you do a 20 minute walk at a heart rate of 130 beats, that may not be enough to really provide a caloric deficit total throughout the day and in conjunction with your eating and whatnot to really create some effect. You're gonna maybe get some cardiovascular, and you will get some cardiovascular benefit, but you might only burn 130 calories, 140 calories during that time, mm -hmm. versus if you lift it up a little bit, yes, you might compromise a little bit of the, the fat percentage from a burning standpoint, for use standpoint, but you're also then getting maybe 300 calories. So you're offsetting a little bit of that, and that's sort of where we talk about, okay, where should you be working out? And to be honest, my best, res my best response to that question is at all those different levels. I'd say you should be doing at least one to two days a week of some long, slow intensity stuff, probably one to two uh, days a week of some high intensity interval based stuff. And then probably one to two days of some moderate intensity, a little bit shorter, Yeah, you know, work, work, work pretty hard. And I know most, you know, you in the, in the sporting, in the, in the running sense or the marathon triathlete, things like that, you'll see people that have, you know, zone one, zone two, zone three, zone 5A, 5B, all these different zones. And, and I've looked at those closely over the years. And to be honest, all you're doing is just shifting the, the, the parameter a little bit. But for me, it really comes down to three different levels. Your low, long, slow intensity, your low intensity stuff, your really high where you might do some interval work. And then your your uh, you know threshold race pace work, which sort of right right in the middle, and you know what most people might perform at. Um, and at each of those levels, you're going to get similar but different um, responses physiologically. Yeah. Right. So you know, let's take the high intensity level. 
at a really high intensity level, you're still going to get a real big increase in blood flow and circulation and, and exchange. You're going to train your system to exchange that a lot more efficiently. You're going to get all those. But with the, the big thing that you're going to get from the high intensity stuff, especially if you do it in an interval setting, is the lactate buffering. Mm-hmm. So you're basically then going to delay the, the impact of fatigue on your performances at that level. So you're just, sh- you're just shifting the curve a little bit more to the right, a little bit higher so that you can perform at high levels without that impact of, of lactate and subsequent fatigue that may uh, interject, right? So that's one of the reasons why we might might do that one primarily is to maybe help buffer some lactate. With the low intensity stuff, you may primarily do that because we've seen some really good evidence where you increase capillarization, you increase you know the ability of the body to just exchange uh, gases a lot more. You get some greater mitochondria density. So you exactly. know, you're getting a little bit more, uh, you know, metabolic powerhouse to then use the, the, the oxygen and the energy that we're providing to then perform. So, you know, that's where, you know, looking at those different levels, it's not one or most people typically do just choose one, right? Mm-hmm. But what we should be doing and, um, and trying to, you know, it's hard talking with clients because, you know, I'll say, okay, you should be throwing in some, some uh, high intensity days, just one or two, get some interval work in there and nobody likes interval days. Right. Nope. Nobody likes Not pushing to it correctly. Right. And, and, you know, you bring up a good point there because I'll see some programs out there where people say these are, these are hit programs and, and whatnot. They're, they're high intensity, but they're, they're not including that interval. They're not programming it to the point where that person is pushing to that nine out of 10, eight, nine, 10 out of 10 and coming back down. They may be sitting at seven, eights and nines, but they'll sit there for the entire session Yep. And then only might be 10 minutes or 15 minutes and they're just that person will just crash and that's the end of the, the workout. You're not necessarily getting the same benefit by just burning yourself out for five to 10 minutes and then, and then being done without including you know, the point of the interval. Hey guys, real quick. I know this is a tough time for a lot of us. There's a lot of anxiety, frustration, and fear around the economy and our ability to create a safe and stable future for our families. The stress is piling up and without our usual outlets like the gym, seeing our friends, and man, even just getting out of the house regularly, it's easy to get down on ourselves, stop moving so much, start eating and drinking more, and lose sight of the number one most important investment that we should be making right now, and that's in our own health and fitness. Look, the only thing that we can truly control right now is our health, and really what better time is there to make yourself a priority? If you're ready to take back control of your health so that you can be the father, husband, partner, and leader you know you can be by having the energy, focus, drive, and resilience to thrive physically, mentally, and emotionally, then we need to chat. Just schedule your free nutrition strategy call over at bslnutrition.com forward slash level up, or you can find the link in the episode show notes below. I guarantee you'll walk away from our call with more clarity and confidence around exactly what action steps you can start taking today to build the personal foundation for long-term growth in every area of your life. I'll look forward to speaking with you and enjoy the rest of the show. I, I think that there's a gross misrepresentation of what truly is HIT training, high intensity interval training based on what we know from the research to the degree that most people that do quote unquote hit aren't actually doing hit in that they're not training at that maximal um, anaerobic threshold, um, maximal exertion point of where you can't 
do another one or two seconds yep. like and then you rest and and recover and and do it again based yep. on what those studies show and the benefits of that versus this dumbed down version of we're doing a, a 45 minute quote unquote hit class and there's right. all these cardiovascular based hit training classes which aren't in in actuality hit training right just a so, cardio class yep. yeah it's basically just a cardio class and you're training at a, a moderate to you know moderate and higher intensity level but it's not the intensity level where you get those types of fat burning benefits uh, or metabolic right. benefits that you get from the true hit training I, I think it's important but what i really like that you expressed is that while there is this continuum of training from a low to moderate to a high intensity level it's really dependent on the individual uh, based on kind of where they're at and and yeah. as long as they're creating some level of adaptation and i think that's it's important to differentiate between, well, what are specifically, so who are you? What do you want? What are your goals? What's your training history? What's your nutrition look like? How much time do you have available? What are your stress levels like? Because that's one thing that I observe quite a lot and seems to be one of the largest determining factors in, in kind of prescribing this type of exercise because, you know, either it's, it's sort of like, um, it's kind of more like it, whether it's like more aerobic or low intensity and metabolic in nature, or it's more anaerobic and kind of more neural and nervous yep. system based in nature. And, and one of the problems we encounter is if you're the type of person listening, like it's sexy to want to go and do that hit training. Like you want to be on the floor panting and sweating and like just a mess. Bent. Yep. You know, you don't really want that, but but understanding the physiological repercussions on the body to the degree that if you're, you know, a busy dad and you've got your kids at home right now and you're juggling your job and your wife's working as well and you're not sleeping enough and you're not eating right and you're drinking too much alcohol and then you go ahead and throw in three hit training sessions a week where you go all out. Fuck, man, that might just be too much straight up stress on your body that's going to end up creating more inflammation, more cortisol, and, and ultimately more damage down the road to the degree that you're not recovering, joints might start to fall apart versus, well, in actuality, it may be far more beneficial for you to go do some long, slow intensity, slow. right? Yep. Yep. Where if you can realistically allocate 60 to 90 minutes multiple times a week of just walking, well, then you're going to get just as much benefit from a caloric expenditure, from a, a oxygenating the cells, improving mitochondrial function, and like you said, density, so yep. that you can produce energy more efficiently in the mitochondria versus creating some level of restriction and yep. stress yep. in those mitochondrial yep. cells. So, and, and, you know, and I, it brings me back because, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of professionals out, out there that, you know, how many times they've had uh, and shown the success of people where they've had those individuals that have beaten themselves up and all just said, you know, what I recommend is you to back off mm -hmm. and just do some long, slow stuff and real easy stuff and results happen for those individuals that just that change. They were, they were creating too much stress and chaos in their system and, and backing off. And, you know, I, I like a good friend of yours, Jade uh, uh, Tato, with uh, his, yeah. um, you know, approach because sometimes you do do need that, you know. But then I, on, the, on the same breath, you know, I've had uh, a couple other professionals say, well, you can't, you know, do HIIT training with, with uh, uh, diabetics, you, you know, people that are, are really out of shape. And I, 
I'm like, well, why not? You know, why, why can't you? I mean, if you do it right, what's the difference if you, if you, you know, when we talk about, like, and I said, if we have somebody watching that's, that's maybe just starting out and, and uh, wants to get into it and they're thinking, okay, well, I, all I need to do is long, slow stuff. I can't do the hit stuff yet. My, my argument would be do 10 seconds. Do 10 seconds of, of really hard stuff and then have 40 seconds of nothing or really easy stuff and then go 10 seconds and do a few repetitions of that until you get used to it. And all of a sudden you build up to the point. Nobody's out there right now if you're just not start if you're just starting out doing a minute all intensity and then taking 30 seconds can't. off and you just yeah. can't, right? You just can't. So, you know, but if you do it smart and, and you might do 10 or 15 seconds really high intensity, which most people can do 10 to 15 seconds of some really short stuff and then back off for 30, 45 seconds, 60 seconds, and and then go again. I mean, that's that's in itself what, what HIIT training is supposed to be. And as you get better, you increase the duration of the, in, of the interval and then you might shorten the de- or decrease the, the interval for recovery, right? So yeah. you're just manipulating that until your system can, can handle it. And, and all you're doing is just then, as you mentioned, becoming more efficient, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point now too, especially because like we don't have access to the gym. So this is stuff that you could do in your, in your house that could really make a massive difference. And when you talk about like diabetics or people that are metabolically challenged or metabolically deranged in terms of especially like diabetics, poor blood sugar management, insulin control, and we talk about the benefits, specific benefits of exercise on the cells and on the GLUT4 receptors and you know, basically how we handle blood sugar in that post-exercise window, it is profound, right? It's profound to the degree that when you exercise, you are helping your cells automatically become more insulin sensitive in the absence, uh, more sugar sensitive in the absence of insulin. It's, I talk to clients about it. It's free money, man. It's like you're shuttling all these receptors to the cell wall to basically start to soak up all of the glucose right. in your bloodstream. Right. So from a perspective of a type two diabetic, it seems you know, like a no brainer to implement some right. higher intensity bouts yep. that's appropriate with their level. And, and so bringing it back to sort of what we can do in our own setting right now, it's like, yeah, man, go out, walk every single day, try and hit that 10,000 steps a day. Or if you're not moving at all, hit four or 5,000 steps and yep. build up from there. But in addition to that, you could just do, you know, you could stair do, step. Yes. Yeah, stair step or body, uh, body weight squats. You could do yeah, modified right. pushups. You could do jumping yep. jacks, like so many different things you can do that will create the same metabolic physiological benefit uh, or stimulus as jumping on a bike or jumping on a treadmill at an incline or whatever. Um, so that's huge. I love that. Um, and you know, and, and even on the same breath, you know, those individuals that are a little bit more highly trained in this day and age with the same uh, being at home. I mean, all of a sudden you just change the exercise. You start doing mountain climbers, you start doing quick feet, you start doing, you know, you just get a little bit more creative on what, what exercise or what, uh, but you still look at those key con- uh, contributors being intensity and duration, right? You know, you're still, when you're doing an interval session, for example, you're still wanting eight, nines and tens out of 10 in terms of intensity and then, and then recovering, right? That's, that's the whole point. However you do that, all you're trying to do is get that heart rate up there as high as you can for that period and then recover and then, and then obviously go again, right? So it's just becomes a manipulation of what you have available to, to, you know, but you're training the energy systems really. You know, how would you go about measuring, 
progress. So it's kind of getting baseline measurements and measuring progress in a realistic way for people to help them determine if and how they're improving from a cardiovascular fitness standpoint. Like if you tell me to go start exercising, I'm willing to go get a heart rate monitor or something like what should I be looking for? It's a good question. And without like doing some, some formal testing, but even if you had something at home, I mean, you could look at a, at a three-minute step test as a real easy one to, to look at degrees of change. And you might do a, a Cooper 12-minute run or one-and-a-half-mile run as if you, if you can uh, complete that or some bike tests. But really, if, you, if you're not going to test yourself, heart rate's still the biggest variable, the best variable to look at. And you should the easiest way to identify improvement is to see a lower heart rate at the same level mm-hmm. of, of completion that you're doing. So let's say, for example, you're going to walk, or you're going to do two minutes on a uh, uh, stairs at home, right? We'll count how many steps you might do in that two minutes. And then ultimately what you're trying to do is look to see, can you do more steps in that two-minute period and have a lower heart rate response in relation to that? I mean, that you're just looking at, but heart rate response is still the best indicator for um cardiovascular fitness changes uh, across the board without getting into some scientific stuff, looking at, you know, gas exchange or, or, you know, lactate levels and things like that, which obviously is more uh, lab based. Yeah. What I typically recommend for people is, again, I'm, I'm huge about modulating the amount of stress that we're putting ourselves under. And so I, I'm a a big fan of low intensity, steady state. Um, In addition to like just accumulating your steps, if people can can start to accumulate that type of, of exercise to the tune of kind of, you know, 65 to 75% of their predicted max heart rate. But I'd love to know you being, you know, the professional in this field, is that actually an appropriate kind of low intensity zone? Um, obviously, it's more quote unquote fat burning, which doesn't really mean anything other than it is beneficial for helping them burn calories. But I guess from a, a stress on the body standpoint, is that an appropriate level for people to be exercising at? Do we is it still as beneficial to go lower, or is that about the right range? No, that's still a pretty good range. I mean, I think you got to look at the individual level of fitness, and as you as you do, I know you do. You know, taking in the bigger picture of the individual to to see where they're at. The issue is what you're comparing that off because if you're looking at 220 minus your age as a heart rate max, now you're very skewed, right? If you're looking at, um, you know, if you're using that as a as a uh, a measure of of what you're basing at 65 to 75 percent, then you could be way off. And we know even with levels of fitness, that's going to change. So max heart rate, the more fit you are, the you know slightly lower your max heart rate might be, and just because your system is so, so well trained that it yes. doesn't need to have a you know, higher uh, active pump working for you, you know, versus uh, genetically somebody might have a max heart rate of 240 somebody, or uh, maybe more 220 or 210 versus somebody might only be, you know, 180. So without, without getting a, a true measurement of your max heart rate, then becomes the prediction of that, that becomes a difficulty of the prediction. Yeah. So, um, but ballpark, look, you know, you can't go wrong with setting even off a 220 minus age as bad as that is. You're not going to be from a low intensity that far off uh, from working that. It's when you're starting to, to sequential higher zones, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's when it gets a little bit more tricky. But, you know, if you're 65 to 75%, that's a 10% range in heart rate. You've got a fairly big window of improvement uh, yeah, right. or, or something to work with there. So it's, it's a little bit easier. Um, but you would... Probably if you're without doing heart rate, you would look at performance markers, 
time, distance, things like that would be a good marker to see because your system still has to work well enough to complete a task. So you should be able to complete that task in an easier fashion, more accomplishment, whatever you want to look at. And that's a good marker as well. But to your point, 65 to 75% would be perfectly fine for a, from a low intensity standpoint. Hey guys, real quickly, I want to talk to you about my nutrition company, BSL Nutrition, and our all-in-one training drink called Complete Essentials. This is a comprehensive exercise formula that I personally created after experiencing years of frustration, working with hundreds of individuals and athletes that were not getting the nutrition that they needed before, during, and after their workouts. After using numerous workout powders that were low quality, overpriced, chock full of caffeine and artificial sweeteners and were flat out useless, I said enough is enough and figured out how to create a nutritionally dense, comprehensive, and high quality product with ingredients that you can feel good about taking and giving to your family. When you use Complete Essentials, you'll no longer need pre, during, and post-workout supplements. You'll save time, money, and energy and get all of the beneficial nutrients you need in one delicious, easy-to-mix drink. It's just the ingredients that you need to give you great natural energy, improve your recovery, and reduce your muscle soreness with no caffeine or artificial sweeteners. You can learn more about our complete essentials at bslnutritionshop.com and check out the show notes below for a nice little discount on your first purchase as my way of saying thank you for listening. That's it. Let's head back to the show. Uh, yeah. So what just what I'm hearing you say is, is so we have these predictors and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if someone's coming in more sedentary, hasn't really been trained formally or doing any structured quote unquote cardio to be able to use 220 minus your age. So you take 220, you subtract your age from it, and that's your predicted max heart rate. Yep. Um, right. And then from there, you can take 60 five percent of that number and find a range yep. you know so let's say it's like 105 to 120 or something is, yep. is kind of that 65 to 75 percent of someone's range to the degree you know kind of so so much so that if you 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 can just train within that range you put on a heart rate monitor you yep. track your heart rate and assuming you're exercising within that range for a period of time then um your you're burning calories you're improving oxygen efficiency um, and you're, you're using more fat as substrate, uh, than, than, uh, carbohydrate and the higher intensity goes, the more carbohydrate you start to use. That's not neither good nor bad. Although when we talk about endurance training or when we talk about cardiovascular training, we want to train the body, like you said, in all these different areas so that we can train the body to be really efficient at, at using all, all of right. these substrates as yep. fuel, fat, and carb interchangeably versus yep. I think that the less healthy that people get, and like you talked about mitochondrial density, uh, the more mitochondrially starved we become or suppressed uh, or inefficient the mitochondria become, the, the poorer we do with fat as a fuel source, yep. the more we just kind of burn through carbohydrate as a easier fuel source, even though it's a less efficient fuel source. And I'm kind of getting yep. off on a tangent here. But the point is that the more well-trained we become, the less reliable the 220 minus your age predictor becomes to the degree that your max heart rate could likely be significantly higher. Therefore, that training zone could be significantly higher. 
Yep. So it's important that you just, you just uh, track progress. Yeah, and but you make a good point there because too, you know, there's a it could be also with individuals a fine line, or I've seen it in the lab between when they do transfer from being more fat burn to more carbohydrate and and flip that switch pretty quickly. I mean, at low levels of resting and low levels of intensity, the system may be thriving on on being a fat burning environment, but all of a sudden the initiation of a certain intensity flips that switch pretty quickly, and that individual now becomes more carbohydrate oriented as far as the, the energy that's being um, metabolized. So, you know, and that's where, you know, so when we talk about low intensity, that's 65 to 75, depending on how fit the individual, how, how active they are, you know, it may be all of the stress, uh, you know, that, that's being imposed on the person, they could flip between that pretty quickly. But to your point, yes, training your body and being, you don't have to be the world's best marathon runner to be cardiovascularly fit, right? But having a, a, a significant increase in, in fitness, now all of a sudden you slow down or you make it more difficult for your body to, to flip that switch mm-hmm. to go into a little bit. The ranges stretch out a little bit more, right? Yes. And that's the benefit is now you can push a little bit harder and still get that maximal benefit of some fat burning uh, and efficiency. I don't want to just say fat burning, just metabolically efficient system to utilize energy at that low intensity now you push a little bit higher before you switch into a co- yes. more carbohydrate dom- domain. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. You're really just improving your body's ability to just uh, handle uh, all forms of intensity. And, and obviously, it's going to create a more metabolically healthy environment across the, the body because now you are being able to manage your, your body weight, your, your fat usage, your, your oxygen delivery. I mean, all your systems are primed up uh, based on the adaptations that you've given. Yeah. And so a lot of times that means that you've created an environment where you can eat more calories as well, which is huge because we yep. want to create this sort of engine, not to be cliche, because we always you know, reference the body as this sort of engine, but, but that's exactly kind of how it functions. And we want to create this, this, this you know, engine to burn hotter and, yep. and use more fuel um, yep. by, throughout well, our training. And, and just one more thing is, is making the comparison from improving cardiovascular fitness to strength training is what that looks like is you're doing a set of squats for 10 reps. Well, you may very well need significantly less rest period in between your sets of 10 reps. That's improving efficiency. Right. Right. You know, and, and to your point about eating and stuff, I mean, you've worked with athletes in the past, some of the world's best athletes and and some of the the most elite athletes have horrible diets. Horrible. Horrible. (laughs) But they do get away with it because they've trained a system to just be able to handle those nutrients in such a way that they can, they can, they can perform very, very well without an impact uh, necessarily on on uh, on their system if they are eating junk, which some of them, most of them, can do. Awesome, yeah, yeah, you know. But we don't, you know, the average individual doesn't get away with that, right? Right. You you tr- you try to train, but but you can if you train your system to be a little bit better. That's it you can handle these fluctuations a little bit more. You can, you can, and it just takes time and training and consistency to build up that sort of metabolic engine so that you can be consuming a lot of calories and utilizing those calories as efficiently as possible or inefficiently as possible, however you want to frame it. But the fact that you're burning the carbs, burning through those carbs as opposed to storing them and burning through those fats as opposed to storing them. Um, I think one more thing that I want to talk about, and then we'll kind of wrap things up, but as an exercise physiologist, I want to know your take on 
the importance of carbohydrate in fueling energy demands for everything from the average individual to the high performance athlete because that's sort of the macro of choice in terms of uh, getting the redheaded stepchild you know classification these days still i think i think it's we're coming out of it yep. but we're still on this kind of low carbohydrate kick um what's your impression there yeah so so two things i think in general most people probably previously have consumed more carbohydrates than they probably need on a daily basis in general. Like, you know, the the old uh, recommendations, I mean, three to 500 grams of carbohydrate per day. I think for the most people, that's probably just a little bit too, too high. And and we've probably done a little bit better of getting, uh, getting that down a little bit and and managing it. But if you're an endurance athlete, there's no getting around it. I know there's a lot of people out there that will say that you can be on a keto or a very, very high fat dominant diet and still perform well. But it's interesting when I've looked at those individuals, when it gets to race time and performance, the first thing that they're putting down their mouth is carbohydrates. So, you know, because in, in performance, especially when we start talking about triathlons and marathons and things like that, there's just a, there's just demand. There's a glycogen demand on the muscles that your body needs to, you need to refuel with. So there's going to be a, a large intake of carbohydrate. And, and we've seen that with, and we've seen that with, the ingestion of carbohydrate delaying the onset of fatigue during an endurance event, right? Versus, versus fat. And that's a big contributor because you can take in some fat during a race. That's great. You've got a good amount of energy, but the onset of fatigue is still happening earlier than those that are taking a a larger uh, carbohydrate storage. Um, But I think you've got to match the carbohydrate intake to the demands of what you're doing. There's, I will say in my experience of working with endurance athletes, that some endurance athletes that are on, let's say a low level endurance, uh, maybe 5Ks and 10Ks, which I probably would regard in the low level of endurance sports, probably eat like their marathon runners in terms of the level of carbohydrates. Yeah, right? And, and, and their, their training is just not mimicking the intake, right. um, even though because of the mindset, right? You're, you're, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a runner, so I've got to eat carbs. Pasta and, and you know, bagels and but, carb yeah. load and right. you know, gels. Right. And they're running right. a 10-minute yep. mile. Yep. And, and, you know, we can even trace this back to when, you know, carb loading. I mean, years ago, you, people would start carb loading. If they had a Saturday race, they'd carb load Tuesday, right? Carb Tuesday. <laughs> and then it got sort of brought back a little bit closer Thursday, Friday. Well, now we, the evidence really supports it. If you've got, let's say, a Saturday race, that you might be able to get in a Friday night load and you're primed for the Saturday race. And, and that's all that you need. <laughs> and you can eat fairly moderately, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it just depends. If somebody's doing a, a four to six mile run, I mean, you you could you know you got to replace and you got to refuel. But unless you're doing, you know, you shouldn't be ingesting a whole lot of carbohydrate. You know that whole pasta bagel scenario. Not unless you're really putting in some serious mileage and, and time. You know, if you're starting to do two three hour sessions, okay, now you make sure you include sure. enough carbohydrate. But if you're doing less than an hour, forty five minutes or, or lower, I mean, you can have a fairly well balanced diet and be perfectly fine and perform really well. Yeah, I think most people's glycogen levels are pretty primed for the most part. Not that there's anything wrong with carbs as we're talking about. They're, they're a very healthy part of a, right. a, a balanced diet and balanced training protocol. There's certainly yep. nothing wrong with them. It just nope. comes down to total calorie intake. And my you know fueling choice of sorts is to tequila load throughout the week. So I make yeah. sure load throughout the week so that come the weekend, I'm primed 
and ready. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I wanted to. I wanted to sort of touch on real quick. I'll, I'll only mention this quickly just because we've been in that right. discussion. But going back to the whole carb um, cardio versus uh, strength training, you know, one of the things I've been looking at over the last six months to a year is the increase in, in the change in body composition, the increase in lean tissue, and what effect it's having on on VO two maxes and aerobic capacity. Um, because I, I've been working with a lot of uh, endurance athletes that may not change their weight much through a season. And some will actually decrease body mass through a season just because of virtue of their training. And performance will actually suffer a little bit, even though they're putting in more mileage and whatnot. So I've started to look at um, maintaining or improving body composition. So even if someone stays at, let's say, 140 pounds or 150 pounds and their body composition improves, we're seeing a huge increase in uh aerobic capacity, relative aerobic capacity in that individual, even though their VO2 max might not change. Well, because so that's muscle cells and the oxygen cell. capacity. Exactly, exactly. So it's been really unique uh, in, a, in a series of athletes I've been working with to see that difference. Body composition, uh, weight change, they might only change two pounds, let's say. They may change, you know, have an increase in, in four pounds of lean tissue and a, and a decrease of, you know, uh, two pounds of, of uh uh, fat tissue, if my math's right, or something thereabouts, yeah. and only might see a two or three point increase in VO2 max because VO2 max is, is predominantly the, based on body mass, right? So, uh, yes, they're getting fitter, but relative to their body mass, we're not seeing much of a difference. But I'm seeing anywhere from eight to 12 points higher on relative VO2 max changes in reference to their lean tissue um, uptake because they've had that, yes. had that shift. So we're seeing a, a much more performance market, greater performance market because those individuals now uh, are able to perform better because of their composition. And actually, uh, Dr. Messer put me on that, uh, Jeff Messer put me on that uh, about three years ago. I asked him because at the time, we saw these power meters that were coming out for runners. We have them for cyclists, but we started to see them come out. Nike was putting out these little things and you know, people were like, oh, I've got a power meter for my runner, for my shoes and this and that. And... And uh, actually, I, I reached out to Messer and said, hey, Jeff, well, you know, are these, am I, should I be looking at these? Should I be starting to do some research and exploring these? He's like, look, to be honest, it comes down to more efficiency. Body composition management is, is going to be the bigger determinant of, of uh, performance differences between athletes. Get them a little bit, not too lean, but get them to be able to be pound for pound a stronger runner yes. in, this, in this essence, and you're going to have a better performer. That's huge, yeah. man. I think that's the most relevant thing. I mean, this whole conversation's been gold, but I really think, it, you know, in the context of the average listener and just wanting to be healthier, to improve their energy, to improve their body composition, to look better with their shirt off, like that's the most relevant thing because what I'm hearing you say is, is essentially when women want to lose weight, what do they do? They eat less and they go do more aerobic exercise. When men want to you know, lose weight, they go do strength training and sometimes they eat more. more. But, but there's obviously a, a, a combination of the two. There, there's a, a marrying of the two to the degree that you need to have resistance training. You need to maintain, if not improve, lean muscle tissue and you need to uh, eat and and exercise and do cardiovascular exercise in a way that's going to help you lose body tissue. So it ultimately comes down to 
potentially creating some level of a caloric deficit and you can use your nutrition to do that yep. and you can use your cardiovascular exercise to do that. I think the really important thing is you don't go overboard on either one either end. Yep. Uh, and continue Absolutely. to lower, lower calories and increase and increase and increase your exercise as yep. I've talked about before, because that's contributing to metabolic inefficiency. Yep. Um, uh, or poor substrate utilization, but but essentially saying, look, for you to perform better, you want to be leaner. You want to maintain muscle mass. You want to have yep. less body fat. And by having more muscle mass, you're going to perform better. Like you're better. going to have more oxygen. You're going to be stronger. Um, you're going to look better. So all yeah. of these things that are further supporting the, the marrying of the two, I, I think that's huge. So I'm, I'm so grateful well, that you it- brought that up. And it's such a snowball effect for those individuals because the more as you as you work your way down that line of getting stronger and more cardiovascular efficient, then you then you have more freedom to do more. Yes. So you actually can run a little faster, you can push yourself a little bit harder, you can expand on some of these things, you can choose different exercises and, yeah. and actually be able to handle them, you know, very well. So it opens a door to some of these areas just by doing a little bit on the front end, you know, yeah. of each. Yeah, and, and just the, the longevity benefits of having a good amount of muscle mass yep, and being absolutely. strong are huge. Yep. And we have friends in the industry that are working on just the, you know, the, the research as far as just the benefits of being strong, of having a good amount of muscle mass on your frame as you age, yep. offset sarcopenia and things like yep. that. And then obviously from a muscle mass standpoint is talk about being in a primed position to utilize nutrients effectively. The more muscle mass you have, like the better you glucose disposal, yep. you know, you're, well, you're, and I think when I went through an undergrad um, course and it, it always uh, stayed with me, but uh, one of my professors who was a physical therapist at the time, he said, you know, the first thing that we try to do with, with post surgery and, and post injury states is to get them to do some cardiovascular exercise. And everybody in the class at the, at the time was like, why, why would you do cardio? Let's get them back into doing some exercise and strengthening. And he goes, well, what do you got to do? You got to increase some blood flow and, and, and delivery of nutrients to the injured yes. area as you're trying to get it stronger. And, and you know, again, you, you got you to marry them up. If you're not, then you're missing out on, on some valuable uh, adaptations. I love it. Dude, thank you so much. This has been no phenomenal. Um, let's talk about how people can find you, how they can work with you. What do you got going on there? Uh, so you can just email me at dan.dodd, uh, D-O-D-D, at dexfit.com. Um, otherwise, you can reach out to you and, and uh, obviously you're, I've got all your details, you've got mine, so we can uh, connect people up and, and whatnot. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and not very well, but I'm on there somewhere. Well, that's because you're actually in the trenches working with people every single day. So uh, you're not wasting all your time on social media. So I respect that about you. Um, you do, you did create like a, a yeah. an endurance training program. Maybe talk about that real quickly. Yeah. So uh, last off season. So typically for most endurance athletes, particularly in the central Illinois, it's usually around that December through to March uh, time, uh, time span. So what I did is I created a lean endurance program that was specifically resistance training. Um, because most of the time off season, we want to deload them off any cardiovascular work, uh, aerobic work and, and get them out. But it was primarily focused towards improving their lean, in, their, their body composition. So we looked at, at tailoring their nutrition, obviously we were working really hard on their, uh, strength training, but it was primarily designed to make them more efficient. Um, and that's, and that's ultimately what we did. And, and that's some of those individuals I work with. So we, it was only the first time I've run it this year and it was very, very successful. I'll do it again next year. And, and awesome. uh, I haven't stepped into the in-season realm just yet, but I, I mainly because I really wanted to see the effects from a off-season because it was without that 
impact of some of their training loads. I mean, if you get some really high uh, motivated endurance athletes, their training loads go off the charts. So trying to mm. trying to balance that becomes really difficult from a controlled standpoint. Yeah. So that makes sense. Awesome. Trying, well, yeah. I'll yeah. have all of your contact info in the show notes below so that people can reach out if they're interested in endurance nutrition and endurance training and training from a distance, then they can reach out to you and, and figure out how that works. But uh, do yeah, good buddy. Always a pleasure, my man. Always a pleasure. Uh, to do it more often with the tequila. Yeah. <laughs> with the tequila. All right, we'll do a virtual happy hour here one of these days. Sounds good, bud. All right, my brother. All right, take man. care. Be take safe. care of your family. Talk soon. You too. Be safe. Did you love this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show? Then head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a positive rating and review. And more importantly, share this with other men that you know are dedicated to leveling up in every area of their life by learning how to live healthier, more energetic, and productive lives so that they can optimize their health for their family and future. Thank you for listening. And if you want to find out more about how you can work directly with Ben, then just head on over to www.bslnutrition.com forward slash level up.